Hello and welcome to the Fresh Air Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. I'm Martin. And uh, today we are going to be discussing the problem of evil. Now, what is the problem of evil? I mean, does 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 it have its own problems? Is it sort of a messed up child? Is that what we're discussing today? Yeah, a bit of both. <laughs> In fact, it's not uh, too far from what we are discussing slightly with the problem of evil, because one of the uh, elements of evil is obviously against the omni-god claim of the Christian-slash-Islamic god. It's the same one, different books, adaptions of Jewish, they're all Jews. That's not what we're here for tonight. We're here to discuss the problem of evil. And the problem of evil comes from the philosophy of religion. That's right. It's a standard argument against something like the Islamic or Christian God, where it's declared that it's both perfectly loving and perfectly good and all-powerful. Basically, if God was all-good and all-powerful, it would want to see evil stopped and stop that evil. Exactly. So if we do have an all-powerful God and you've got an all-knowing God, and it's a benevolent, as in a loving God, it would want to stop evil. It would not want this to be on the earth, and it would have the power to do so. So the uh, the problem of evil sort of goes, uh, as, as you were saying, you know, an all-loving God will would not allow evil and suffering. An all-powerful God would have the ability to end all evil and suffering, because it's all-powerful, right? That's correct. And, and if an all-powerful and all-loving God existed, then there would be no evil or suffering in the world. However, evil and suffering do exist in the world. Therefore, an all-powerful and all-loving God does not exist. Now, this does not necessarily negate a God claim. It just negates this particular God claim. That's right, because in the case of a deist God, there's no sort of claim to any attributes like all loving and all good, you know, could have just sparked the torch and walked away type God. So it literally is just for a specific God. There is even some of the some of the people that define the Christian and Muslim God to some extent, they they might define it slightly differently. So therefore, the problem of evil doesn't necessarily apply to all versions of the Christian God, if that makes sense. Well, there are so many different denominations and interpretations. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that they alter the definition so that suddenly the problem of evil is no longer a problem for them. Pretty much. So the problem of evil, it, it's not a particularly good argument as far things go but it is good for a particular definition because you know if it was true then it, it's a good case for saying yes that god doesn't exist well yeah exactly so on the standard definition of the judeo-christian abrahamic deity that is found in christianity and islam it does not fit the definitions for this reason however there are other mind gymnastics people go through to try and get around this yeah, that's right. There's an argument like Richard Swinburne's, which is basically the free will argument, and that God could have good reason to allow evil, so therefore the argument doesn't really dispel that. I don't know how strong that is. Yeah, I don't find it particularly convincing, but... Well, no, I mean, that's that's like saying... Well, that's, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Could an all-powerful God not give us free will 
and no suffering? That's highly possible. I don't see why not. I mean, it's an all-powerful god. It can pretty much do anything that's logical. Well, exactly. So then that would mean that his argument is completely flawed, that why does free will need suffering? Why, why does free will need suffering and evil? for it to be there. It's not necessarily that it does, not in Swinburne's argument anyway. It's just that God could teach lessons by allowing suffering that might not necessarily be able to be taught in any other way. So he's not all-powerful then? (laughs) Well, you can make the argument that he could have, but he chose not to. So people guessing the mind of a god that no one can conceive. Something like that. But isn't the whole point that people, uh, Jews, do suffer eventually? Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that it is kind of part of their religion itself, isn't it? Not and, just and that, be... but, the, but if you're talking about free will, then how can you have free will if you can't choose to suffer? I mean, that's basically a part of free will, isn't it? Well, you can choose to suffer, but I'm not sure you could choose not to suffer yeah definitely i mean you've got to consider uh if you were being attacked by someone and beaten up or tortured or anything like that that wouldn't necessarily be your choice would it no but you could step into a fight looking for trouble and cause that suffering oh exactly no i'm agreeing with you Ah, sorry. Yeah, but the idea is that humanity as a species chose to suffer. Ah, uh, yeah, the fall. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we chose that. So a all not knowing, just the fall. Well, if you look at it, it's the, the original sin argument, which is where all suffering came from, the original evil that, you know, was created by God in the first place because he created us knowing everything that we'll always do because he's an all-knowing God. So realistically... Every element of evil that is in this world was created by God. And he chose that that is the way that we would experience said world. Yeah, I see, I agree with that argument. But the free will argument will still be thrown, you know, and God gave us free will, that's why we suffer. That That's what the response to that will be. Yeah, I, I'm, but, I'm sure it would, but the, I don't see why it has to be that way if if there is an all-powerful god that and and a loving god and an all-knowing god he would know a better way of doing things and that there is there is no way that kids being raped and bone cancer and all of this sort of stuff is the best way for humans to experience life and have love for this deity. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, obviously, an all-knowing being should be able to know a better way, but the argument could be made here that just because we think that it could have been done without it doesn't necessarily mean that whatever the particular outcome is going to be could have. It's not a very strong argument, don't get me wrong, but that that is basically the response to that. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. It's essentially a weak argument with a weak excuse. Yeah, pretty much, because it's just basically saying, well, how could you know that he he could do it differently? You're not all-knowing and you don't know what his plan is. Mysterious ways. Something along those lines, yeah. That's one of my least favourite excuses. And mine. It's, it doesn't really help answer anything and it's sort of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Okay, so we're, we're not privy to God's thoughts, and they, they, they think that, you know, we might not know why this God would allow evil, that maybe it is the only way that God could give us the world as it is. I mean, I, I just, oh, it all sounds so weak, but 
realistically, you also can't come back on that one as well because you've got an unproven deity with a mind you cannot know because no one has ever experienced this person in existence. So how do you argue against something like that? You can't really. That's one of the problems with it. You can keep stressing the argument. You can um, keep saying, you know, it's weak and unconvincing. You could also say it trivializes suffering like chattel slavery the holocaust because it reduces it to a philosophical experiment and thought and is this something a loving deity would do exactly you know is it really something that we should be doing just to defend a very weak argument no definitely not definitely not i mean realistically even if god did have to allow evil in the world surely this all-knowing and loving God and powerful God could come to us and say, look, I am here. This is me. I understand most of you are far too sceptical to believe in stories that are full of holes from thousands of years ago that were written by many different people who weren't really even there at the time, just trying to sell something. But actually, you know what? I am that God. It is based on me. They didn't get it all right. But hey, I put evil in this world for a reason. Just be good and you'll be all right. Yeah, that would be very helpful. But then they couldn't make their uh, divine hiddenness argument and about how God wants you to go to him, not him to... How do they put it? If you were to see God, it would take away your free will to make a choice about whether or not to believe in him. And when we come back to free will, obviously, where does that stand with the whole element of a deterministic or probabilistic universe? Where does God fit into that? Exactly. You know, if that's the way the universe is. But again, they just say that we're misinterpreting the universe. I suppose that's one of the hardest things with any theological debate, though, isn't it? You can go, right, this is the evidence we have and this is the things that we don't know. And they will jump on the things that you don't know and go, yeah, that's God. And you've got your evidence wrong because it doesn't match up with what God says. And you're not you're not on a level playing field. No, you're not at all. Um, and that's what will happen with most religious arguments. It will just keep being pushed back and back and back until they can find a space to say, here's God. Moving the goalposts. Yeah, and, uh, it's basically what happens with some of the defenses against the problem of evil as well. Because you can make the argument, you know, like you were saying, the all-knowing God knows everything in the future, knows all the suffering. That is sometimes changed to only knows what it's possible to know at the moment, not in the future. So that's also a kind of way of overcoming the problem of evil as well, because you can say that at the moment that he created us, he didn't know how to create a universe without that kind of suffering. It's something he had to learn. There's this this is an interesting discussion because it goes to the nature of omniscience. Uh, There's more ways to be omniscient than just knowing everything statically or having to learn that which is possible in the moment. But you could also say, like, for instance, when I walk down the street and I see a die on the street, I can see that it's either on the side of one up until six. You could say that God would see the die and would know, instead of thinking like I do, that he would know uh, of which number it landed. And he would know what would happen when he kicked it. But he would also know what would happen if you kicked it in a slightly different angle. And so that you end up with God knows what 
is the end of the probabilistic actions people take. I agree. And it, it could be built up to knowing everything, you know, in that kind of sense. Well, omniscience is supposed to be all-knowing, as in knowing everything. So, realistically speaking, if that that is the claim, it, it should be past, present, and future, shouldn't it? Knowing everything. Yeah, and the probabilistic nature of the future. Most definitely. I mean, if, if there is uh, true free will, then you're, you're right, there would be an element of probability rather than it being completely 100% this is what's going to happen. It depends on the level of determinism or probabilism within the universe. And you're right, an all-knowing deity would know all of these options and know all the things that were going to happen one by one. So you would still have free will. Uh, Yeah, you'd still have free will. It's just he'd know everything. But then actually, would the deity have free will himself if he knew everything that was going to ever happen he would also know everything he was going to do so then would he be able to change his own actions logic would say no but just because he knows everything he's going to do doesn't mean he couldn't make a snap decision so if it's probabilistic it's this is what I will probably do, but it does add in the chance for the changing of a mind because there could be a snap decision that didn't wasn't included in probability. But yeah. it, I know it's still not a very good argument, but that that's the kind of argument that would be made there. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I suppose it it really depends on the level of omniscience and determinism and everything that we're, we, we're actually discussing, it, it's hard to know without having any real grounding on if the universe is definitely deterministic or if it's probabilistic or whatever. There are, there are many different lines of thought on this. Yeah. Uh, even if you prove that to a lot of believers, they wouldn't actually accept that anyway because the free will is actually part a big part of the ideology itself, isn't it? Uh, of, of course it is, yeah. Uh, I suppose anything that's part of the ideology gets rejected. I mean, you look at a, a creationist who rejects all the dating mef- methods and all the evidence of dinosaurs and, and everything. Exactly. Um, I mean, this one's not re- not quite as extreme as that one, obviously. But because the need for free will is so a basic part of it, that influences believing in God, getting into heaven, all that kind of stuff. It'll be harder to change. It's just less sinister. Yeah, but so is prophecy, though, which is also a plan which basically takes away a lot of your free will. I agree. But again, you, I wouldn't know how to argue that well enough to a religious person. I, I suppose you're right, though, with that. If, if there is prophecy and it, it, it say it comes from God then it is definitely something fated. And if things are fated, then surely there's an element of free will that is completely taken away anyway. There's at least one person's free will taken away, at least. Well, not necessarily. It's a bit like taking a road trip. Imagine us three taking a road trip. We all start in Amsterdam, because that's the place I know, and uh, we want to go to Berlin. We made all, all three of us take a different route, but we'll all end up in Berlin. So none of our freedom is taken away. I mean, you can go through Marrakesh for all I care, but you're going to go to Berlin. But that one element where we end up in Berlin, that's not necessarily a choice. 
there. Either we end up in Berlin or we don't. So if this prophecy could actually not come to pass and it we you know we end up in marrakesh instead of berlin then okay yeah you you're right that is free will which means that the prophecy is uh, this this sort of thing might happen if you know cards fall in the right way but it, you know it might not you know free will uh. and then what good is prophecy anyway because any one of us can sit down and go yeah in the next hundred years or so a man will be born or it might be a woman and they will probably have hair by the time they are one. Yeah, one of the arguments, though, is the solidity of prophecy, isn't it? So God would necessarily have to ensure that that prophecy happened. Um, so with the case of the driving to London argument, we've all made that choice to go to London and go by different routes. If we were forced to go there, then we would have taken a free will route to the end result, but we would have had no choice, no free will to go to that end result. Exactly. Yeah, but it could also just be circumstances that drive us to there, which we accept of our own accord. We might accept them of our own accord, but this will come back to the whole illusion of free will, like you go with a whole deterministic universe. So God has set a number of items that, regardless, there's a thousand different paths in our way that we can choose to get to this location but this particular destination is on the cards and that is that is where we are going to end up yeah but the time at which the time at which you arrive and the way you arrive there those are very flexible you might take a plane to marrakesh and find out that it lands in berlin yeah, but then that's that's something that is being fated it's something that's being scripted it it it, it you know, it's the opposite of the, it's not the destination, it's the journey. In this, it's not the journey, it's the destination. If your destination is fixed, no matter how you feel you got there, you had no choice, no true choice in the matter. If it was going, if it was a true choice, there is a chance that you will not end up there, but a prophecy from God would have to happen, therefore it is scripted, Therefore, there is at least a tiny element of free will being removed. Something just hit me. Is dying a violation of our free will? Ooh. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't want to die. It, if suicide is against God's will, then yeah, dying is a violation of free will. When you're born, you don't make, uh, you don't sign a contract to say that you're willing to die or anything like that. No, but you also never signed a contract that you're willing to be born, so... No, true, but that's not really a violation of free will, because you wouldn't have any until you were born anyway. Yeah, that's true. And I suppose dying, once you're alive, you don't necessarily want to die. I mean, you might if life is that bad, but in general, most people would probably like to be about... I don't know, somewhere between 21 and 25 for the rest of their life, and the rest of their life to be forever as long as you know not everyone else around them is also dying it's a big part of literature so it's a human desire oh that's why we have all the vampire myths and things like that yeah everyone wants to be uh, forever young dorian gray stories like that as well oh yeah yeah but there's the point is that i was basically trying to make an argument at absurdum pretty much fallen flat by this point but still, <laughs> the, basically the, the fact that i can't sprout wings and fly to work tomorrow is that a violation of my free will I mean, it's context-dependent, isn't it? 
Yeah, it depends on the definition of free will. I mean, there's there's all sorts from being able to make a free choice from whatever moment is happening to complete libertarian free will. And of course, libertarian free will falls flat because of arguments like that. Yeah, I, I suppose realistically, we, we almost need to define what people are actually saying within the context of the Bible when they say free will. Yeah, basically. So um, are they saying, basically, the ability to choose, think, and act voluntarily, uh, you know, the typical philosophical definition of free will? But then you're still Sorry. left with the sprouting wings when you're including act. Uh, but that's not necessarily an act. That is, that's more of a, a, a fantasy, isn't it? Like, it, it is because I can't. Yeah, it wouldn't be considered a possible choice because biology determines that it's not possible to do. Exactly. So it, it's within a container. I mean, if we're thinking completely rationally about this, there there has to be a certain parameter of free will. So things that are not biologically possible, I wouldn't say are uh, against our free will, but then actually isn't dying a part of our biology. So is that really against our free will? It depends on how you want to look at it. When you're born, you're destined to die, basically. You can't choose the moment. You can't choose how painful it's going to be. Unless you and, commit suicide. Yeah, exactly. But suicide is against God's will, so... So the only way you can actually choose death is a sin in God's eyes. Yeah, basically. It is It is crazy, actually, that... that you know, there's this whole, you've been given free will, you can do whatever you like, but if you do what you like, I'm going to torture you for all eternity. Yeah, it isn't that kind of an evil in itself. Well, yeah, is it? well, eternal torture, I would definitely say. I mean, think of eternity. I mean, no one can really conceive how long eternity is. I mean, you think how long it is when you're, you're stuck in traffic and you, you're on the motorway for like three hours, right? That feels like an eternity, but that's only three hours, right? And that's basically what hell could be. Absolute boredom stuck on a motorway for not one year, not not ten years, not a hundred years, not, that, not a million years, not a million, 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 million years. It's just forever. And yeah, that is fucking evil, man. There is no way any loving God would ever send anyone to hell. No, I agree. But of course, the way around that is how we define evil. And in the Christian theology or Islamic theology, it would be that which goes against God's will. So torturing you isn't against God's will, so therefore it can't be evil. Uh, yeah, uh, again, it's another one of those really annoying and weak arguments. It's, it's perfectly acceptable for God to commit mass genocide and torture people and you know, what he did to Job in the Bible and <laughs> all, all that shit. Yeah, no, that's fine, because God did it. It's fine. He's a perfectly good moral person. But but we can't do it. He's told us we're not allowed to do it. He's got one of those very uh, do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do sort of attitudes. He's kind of a groovy guy like that. It's one of the reasons I don't really believe, because there's so many contradictions like that. I think I think the, the, the whole Abrahamic deity is 
rife with these contradictions, even it's in its own definition uh, of the omni and benevolence claim. Uh, and this is what, what we're discussing here. Of course, I mean, this discussion that we're having, we could be said to be against God, but also using our free will. But if free using free will is what God wants us to do, but then there's parameters on what we're allowed to do because that's then against God. Isn't that in itself negating our use of our free will like if we're going to be punished for doing what we've been i suppose programmed to do which is what we want uh, i don't know it's just also convoluted isn't it it's ridiculous it is but of course one of the problems that we have if we don't have god as a standard is how we actually define evil then without god is there evil well i evil's a, a a name that we provide a subset of behaviors really isn't it we take a a look at a, a variety of actions if we look at the, the the morality in an objective way we have our definitions of moral immoral amoral so we'd glean to immoral actions would be falling somewhere in the evil spectrum but how immoral so we then have a, a scale that we somehow provide and you know a person killing one other person we might not actually say that that's necessarily evil we might say it's immoral we think it's wrong but there is a difference between say killing one person and slitting the throats of a hundred people all of a sudden we think that that person is demonstrating evil psychopathic behaviors there they're they're killing loads of people yet if we changed it and it was raping a baby i think it would only take one baby to be raped for us to then go oh no that's that's an evil action because of how grotesque that action is so we've got we've got these weird scales that we put on things and evil is a human construct exactly i mean it would have been if uh we were to declare god real and say that such and such is evil because without seeing that god it still is just a human construct and i suppose there's there's all these elements in the bible i don't know if you've had many discussions with theists on morality in say the bible or the quran or anything like that and you've got these rules that are clearly immoral in there but they're from god and in the discussions that you have with these theists they either use the uh, things like no these laws that were in the bible they were written by people so that part of the bible wasn't actually from god it was just them trying to do the best that they could at the time but you know that's wrong because god wrote these morals on your heart and you're just like well why didn't these people have these morals on their their heart either and they're like oh well it was a different time it's like, well, so what god changes the morals on people's hearts over time he suddenly gets an eraser and goes oh actually no no yeah yeah stoning homosexuals you know the, the act is wrong but no we shouldn't stone them anymore and oh owning slaves yeah yeah no 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 let's change change that before i told people that you could beat your slaves uh within uh, an inch of their life but actually now yeah you just can't have them and it's just oh it's it's a frustrating argument or they actually stand by them and say because it's from god they it's right and you go so you'd you, you'd stone a homosexual and you go well no it's it's illegal in in my um in my society to to do this sort of thing and it does say in the bible that actually i'm supposed to respect the laws of the country i'm in so even though i do have this commandment from god there is another one that tells me to respect the laws so even though i probably should be stoning homosexuals actually i'm not going to because it's illegal however if i go to another country 
where it's not illegal to do that is perfectly fine. Thankfully, I don't know too many Christians that would make that kind of argument. Thankfully. If, I know that they're out there, though, and that that kind of argument would be very frustrating. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think they all seem to converge on Twitter when you're discussing morality and stuff like that within in the Bible. It's that would crazy. Why I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's crazy how people can justify such obvious negative behaviors in a in a number of different ways. Hence, why the problem of people can be written off so easily by many simply you know it's it's god's will basically it's such an easy problem for them to write off because they don't really experience the suffering anymore those kind of things like the stoning of the homosexual it might be increasing the suffering it might cause suffering but because it's god's will it's okay and if it's god's will it's not really evil therefore there is no real problem of evil like, you could even write off a serial killer as that and say, well, that's part of God's plan. He did that so that other people could learn to feel sorry for the victims and, you know, better help society, change society so serial killers don't exist. There's all these kinds of excuses that they could use for something like that to say, see, evil doesn't actually exist. None of that goes against God's will. Evil is God's will. Therefore, there is no problem of evil. So, back to what is evil. I've got an idea about this. Are both of you familiar with Plato's forms? I am. Uh, I'm not, but please enlighten me. Okay, well, Plato uh, basically made the argument that uh, everything that is on Earth uh, partakes in something he called a form that was uh, supposedly in some kind of hereafter. or anything. It was the ideal form of that object on Earth. So... Uh, if you saw a horse on Earth, it was only a horse because it partook of the form of a horse. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, my idea about evil is that evil is in its own way some kind of a form. So uh, I'd like to call it an idea because I don't support the rest of Plato's theory. I mean, a horse is a fucking horse because it's a horse. All right. But the idea here is that evil is an abstract concept that we have in our head the ultimate bad thing and something we call evil like hitler is evil because he partakes in that form of evil that we have in our heads yeah right and and i suppose different people might have slightly different pictures in their heads of what this evil thing is as well oh certainly but there's still some core in it that, that involves a lot of maiming a lot of death a lot of other evil things I suppose essentially, though, it's not too far from it is a construct of a set of behaviours that we attribute to evil, and we might have additional parameters in there for how much of this particular behaviour. For example, you might insult one person occasionally, and it maybe not be so bad, but then actually if you persistently bullied all the younger kids at a school you might say actually that person is demonstrating evil behaviors you might not be evil yet because actually he's just pushing them around and calling them names but it's an indicator that this person could grow up to be quite evil themselves so again it's like i suppose gender roles uh, they they are also a, a social construct there are certain things that we are uh, biologically uh, set to do you know without a device a woman can't piss standing up without taking lots of estrogen i'm fairly certain a man cannot lactate 
but the the rest of it are uh, behaviors that are expected by society as this is what a male does this is what a female does and again evil is the same sort of thing this is what we ascribe to evil oh uh, yes and no uh, my theory goes in, in that case a little bit further than what you're saying in that it also is applicable to animals if you look for instance at uh, i believe it was gorillas but somebody may correct me if i'm wrong you have the alpha male and sometimes the alpha male is way too aggressive and attacks males that are subjugated to him for no reason. And he might actually kill them. When he does this, though, it has been seen multiple times that the subjugated gorillas actually rise up in some sort of a revolt against the alpha male. So that would indicate some notion of at least non-passable behavior and thus evil. But again, would that not be down to their, uh, I suppose, their evolutionary survival traits? Apes are quite advanced. Well, I suppose we've we've all evolved to the same level, but they they are uh, quite cognitively apt, and they would process these things maybe not exactly in the same way that we do. But you know, there are, have been uh, orangutans and that that have learnt sign language and been able to communicate with us. So, what makes you think that they wouldn't understand? I suppose behaviors that they decide are evil. Now, we might not necessarily say that that uh, gorilla is evil. We'd just say that maybe he's got far too much testosterone going through him and he's behaving in a negative way. But actually, he's not going around and killing and raping all of them. He's just overly aggressive and starts fights. Well, honestly, the same thing can be said about quote-unquote evil humans. Of course, there it's, it's a set of behaviours that we have decided are evil. Yeah, but the noteworthy thing here is that it's about gratuitous harm, which is the exactly analogous to the human situation. And you would think that in a different species, some different kind of measurement would apply. Well, I suppose it comes down to survival, though, doesn't it, of each individual species and uh, harm of a species but if we take it back to gene survival that the whole point of of evolution is our genes survive and the strong genes survive the the longest and the the weaker genes obviously end up dying out before we've had a chance to procreate as in we would die if we had some weak genes that for some reason caused us to maybe not have any legs when we were born chances are we would never have you know survived at least in early times and the same thing can be seen through other creatures they would have learned to survive they would have learned to assume agency there's a rustling in the bush oh my god paranoia that could be a lion coming to get me i'm climbing up this tree and by the same notion they understand that violent behaviors are not a positive thing and if one person demonstrates this violent behavior over and over and over again causing harm then surely it makes sense that they would eventually revolt a scale of harm i think is something that you could attribute to any species with the cognitive function to process it properly. I think that should be included as a big part of considering an action evil, is that the idea of holding a concept of good needs to be there. You must know that it's the wrong thing to do, or that there is a, a, a more right thing to do in order for it to be called evil. There, I think intent plays a big part and understanding of your own actions plays a big part, at least 
empirically in the way that we use the word. I agree, but I would also say that good being the opposite of evil is also one of those idea forms. Oh, yeah, yeah. And again, we've all got a different understanding, I suppose, of what is attributed to good and bad or evil. Uh, For example, we might have a a theist using their particular holy book as their good and bad uh, elements, whereas we might look at it in a different manner. We would look at the actual facts and the evidence and the the harm caused or, or whatever. But actually thinking about this, is is there anything that we could attribute to an evil behavior pattern where no harm is caused? Trading. Do you say trading? Yeah. Well, like Pokemon I mean, cards. No stock market. So is there no harm caused by that? Or is there a level of financial harm? There's actually a benefit caused by that. But many, uh, many of those people on those stock markets, they trade to do all kinds of not-so-benevolent stuff, like um, hostile takeovers, for instance, or, uh, well, basically they just move money around and apparently that makes money. Okay, but so if you're just moving money around, what would you say was actually evil about that? The fact that you're lacking a sort of consciousness in in that you are getting money and are therefore costing money but are not contributing any money. Well, I mean, you've, you've got to start with money in the first place. That's, let's say I have a thousand pounds and I go and buy a thousand pounds worth of gold because all of a sudden the stock price of gold has suddenly dropped. And five days later, it skyrockets because there's a demand and I sell it and I'm suddenly got two thousand pounds. But I use that two thousand pounds to buy shares in bread and uh it's 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 a basic loaf of bread but all of a sudden they work out how to slice this bread before putting it in a bag and all of a sudden bread is worth so much more and i sell my shares in bread and i've suddenly got eight thousand pounds what is evil i mean this is what you're talking about when you're talking about moving money around the stock market what is actually evil by that action what is evil about this action is that it's not about bread it's often about making uh, production processes cheaper, which means exploitation of possibly children or child workers in developmental countries, which are subject to very harsh working conditions, which is something you are supporting. Is that not causing harm to these children, though? That is causing harm, but it's indirectly causing harm, which is viewed as a very big difference. Okay, so I understand your distinction there. You're, You're separating... Direct harm, evil actions, for example, you know, rape and genocide and all of that. And you're also saying there are other actions that cause indirect harm, which are also evil, especially... But but do you have to know that you're causing that harm? Come again? So if if I'm a trader, right, and I've got no clue about the other side of things, I'm just looking to make money because I want to provide for my family. And you know what? I actually donate X amount to charity. I do everything I do with the best of intentions. And I don't realize that me selling these stocks and buying these stocks in certain areas is going to affect the cost of productions in a way that is going to eventually end up in child labor. Is that going to be an evil action, really? The question is whether you care not enough or not to find out. Ah, but that, that's the thing. Like, I, I mean, I know ignorance isn't necessarily an excuse, but you don't know what you don't know. 
I know so many people who think they have advanced skills in Excel and I find it painful watching them. And equally, if you think that buying and selling bread and gold and shoes and etc. stocks uh, is just as honest as that, without any indication that there could be something else going on, how, how are you to know? Well, if that's the case, you're not supposed to be on the stock market, are you? I mean, you obviously would not be grasping economics. Uh, you, you, you do have a point there, but equally, I think you can uh, have a nose for it. I know my manager, uh, my old manager anyway, he used to be on the stock, stock exchange and he used to buy and sell shares at Peaks and Troughs. And most of these businesses were, you know, UK-based businesses. Some of them were small businesses, some of them were big businesses, and none of them were uh, ones that had stock from you know countries like that they were no there were no clothing brands or anything like that now i'm sure if you dug deep enough to the web you might find that actually the company that owns the company that owns the company that owns the company that does somewhere down the line actually have a factory somewhere where they might do this sort of thing but that's a very 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 tenuous link for anyone to have knowledge of well yes and no question would be then where the pro where the actual production is taking place i mean uh apple is based in the united states right have you ever heard of the cobalt mines nope Okay, well, cobalt mines are mines mostly in, uh, I believe, the northwest of Africa, where uh, warlords send child laborers to do the mining, and that mining is very dangerous even for adults, let alone for small children. And those cobalt mines, they provide cobalt, which is an, a very important mineral for the creation of tablets, smartphones, etc., where small kids are, are basically risking their lives for. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, there you're talking about a specific product, and again, they're producing something. But let's look at a different company. Say you invest in things in the financial services like uh, insurance companies. Yeah, well, then there again, you have an insurance company, which basically has the mission to uh, increase income, reduce costs, which means that mostly they'll be looking for a way out of covering what they're supposed to be covering. Oh, definitely, but there are many forms of insurance as well. So what you're speaking of there is I'm going to insure this object for these reasons, and then the insurance company will go, well, yeah, but it broke because of that reason. But there are other forms of insurance, for example, um, uh, an annuity for example, is a, a form of insurance, or elderly care is a form of uh, annuity, which is a form of insurance, or, or even equity release in a way. Uh, that's more of a, a mortgage, but these items, you know, having an uh, an annuity is basically you, you save throughout your life, you, you have your pension, or, or if you've been manually saving your pot, and then you basically pay this money to this company, and they will do some analysis on you. They'll go, I think you're going to live this long, so therefore I am going to pay you X amount per month and you know and you can choose to accept the product or not so it's basically the company obviously does benefit if you die early it does but then sometimes they lose if you live an extra year 10 years however then then they predicted you were going to live so they're not going to get out of paying you. They don't go, well, actually, no, you're only supposed to live 10 years. It's been 20. I'm stopping your money now. 
you've got that annuity. You've got that annuity for the rest of your life. They, I suppose, are, are gambling with your statistics, with averages, and not everyone will fit into that book. So say if you invested in a company that like that, that dealt with essentially elderly care, is there an immoral action there? Is it evil to do so that? Well, what do you think they do with that money? Well, most of the time they give themselves a really massive paycheck and really big bonuses. <laughs> Yeah, and we, you know what they also do? They also turn over and invest in things like uh, gun trade, gun manufacturing, or in, I forget what it's called, betting that another company is going to go bankrupt. All kinds of things like that, high risk, high payout, that's what they do, and that's all immoral. But of course, there are there are certain things you can do in the stock market that are good. Uh, there's a documentary on Netflix called Betting on Zero, and that's pretty good. That's a guy who's trying to bankrupt one of the most horrendous pharmaceutical companies out there. That's very good. But you, you really have to put in the work to be good on the stock market instead of being bad. I suppose, though, I mean, Dave, I mean, what's your, your take on this in regards to intent? You know, if, if there is someone on the stock market that has no negative intent and they're doing everything for good reasons, but somewhere down the line... An immoral action is happening and it is indirectly causing evil. Would you regard the whole action as evil? I wouldn't regard the person themselves as evil if they... See, that's kind of a hard one because, like Martin says, most people going into the stock market are good at it because they know these finer details. But imagining the old man with a couple of pounds who throws it at a thing and says, here, invest this for me, you know. He might not necessarily be evil himself, but he would be supporting what could be considered an evil industry, if you can see a kind of distinction there. I definitely can. Okay. So, I think where we're at, though, is evil so far always causes harm whether it's directly or indirectly is there any form that causes no harm whatsoever i wouldn't think so not in the way that i would define evil or how evil is generally used empirically and equally could we say there are some actions that do cause harm that are not immoral or evil as well oh yeah it really depends um, i mean are are we counting things like think that cause harm down the line i suppose it depends on the kind of harm i mean for example if we're talking bdsm and stuff like that that's not immoral uh, uh, at all is it really no i'm more talking about uh hateful propaganda well it's but again that that's that's obviously something that is causing harm that would be regarded as evil it might not be causing direct harm now but there is a again a a element of harm so evil seems to always cause harm it, there might not be a time scale on it but it always causes harm either directly or indirectly there are forms of harm that we could say are amoral i'd say we could even have moral forms of harm in the sense of uh, getting a vaccination it causes you a small harm when you first get the injection. It might cause you harm for a few days or a week, depending on your immune system, where you don't feel particularly great. But the long-term benefit to not just yourself, but the people around you, in fact, our entire species, especially those who are immunocompromised, far outweighs that minor harm that you, you suffer. And in fact, 
I would say getting a vaccination is not just amoral, but it is moral to do so. It's a tidy amount of suffering inflicted to reduce a greater amount of collective suffering. Exactly. So... Our one the... parameter that we have for evil at the moment, it's it, we can't just have a scale of harm, but we can say evil always causes harm. Usually great suffering. Rather than just harm, it would be a great amount of suffering. So, so where is the scale on this great amount of suffering? I mean, obviously we were, you know, talking earlier and I suggested that maybe... You know, killing one person might not be evil. It would be immoral, but it might not be to the point of it's fully evil. Whereas slicing a hundred throats, we'd probably say that's quite an evil person. Yeah, because the harm and the suffering is much greater and the intent was there to cause the suffering and the you know the high amount of suffering and high amount of harm so then where would it become on the case of uh say uh rape like if if you rape one person not suggesting you actually go and do this by the way i'm just saying would would we regard that as an evil action really i was halfway there Uh, yeah, I, I would say rape is an evil because it's consider also that it's a violation of rights. And it has a massive long term effect on the person. And yeah. in fact, not just that person, but their family too. It, it causes a great amount of suffering. And the intent yeah. is to cause that suffering. Yeah, but killing someone nine, nine out of ten times does too. But is it the same level of suffering? I mean, sometimes living with something as horrible as that could be seen as worse not saying that they should die but the the ongoing effect you know someone gets killed you are in bits for a, a certain amount of time but you have your funeral you say your goodbyes and you know it's it's not too different to having someone die it i mean it is someone dying it's just there's been an intent for them to to die whereas someone who is raped will often have certain psychological issues themselves their family will see how broken this sort of thing has made them and they will really feel for them as well and it can cause an ongoing thing especially as well if someone is abused from a very young age they might end up being an abuser themselves so then you've got a whole cycle of harm going on in an uh, a potentially endless loop of an abuser becoming or an abusee becoming an abuser and so on and so forth so a single rape can quite easily do a hell of a lot more damage than say a single murder exactly so where do we quantify where where is the line between something that is simply immoral and something that is evil. I know we've got we've got these terms a great amount of suffering, but we've also shown that there's a line of something that can happen to just one person and it's quite a nuanced level of suffering between them. It should have at least something to do with agency. I mean if someone is compelled to slit a thousand throats, that's not as evil at, at the very least than somebody somebody who just picks up a knife and thinks I'm going to slit a thousand throats today. Yeah, if they have no choice, then they can't really have said to have that chosen intent. Yeah, so then the the action might be evil, but it would be the person that made them, the person that compelled them to do this, would be the evil. Exactly. I think there is a distinction between the act itself and the person doing it 
Like an earthquake causes a great amount of suffering, but you wouldn't consider it an earthquake evil. No, but... I mean, I suppose that's a, a natural process of the earth. It's the tectonic plates moving. Exactly. So like Martin says, there, there's a certain amount of agency involved as well. Although you could then go back and go, well, actually, uh, if, if we're talking theologically, if God designed the world, he designed it to do that. So there is agency involved. <laughs> But the final value would be something good. So the actual final intent would be for something good to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> See how easy those problems are to get out of? Yeah, no, it's, it's another circular argument. Uh, unfortunately, it's like the whole Bible is perfect going round and round and round argument, isn't it? It's... There's always some excuse. Um, that will always be the problem, though. There, there will always be some way to push the problem back that little bit further so as to not have to give in to any of those kind of arguments, which is why, you know, they might be convincing to us and they, they might be useful enough for us to say, yes, we don't believe that God exists because of these things. You can't use those to, say, make a knowledge claim, and they won't always be convincing because the other person will be more convinced by their own belief. Yeah, I, uh, I suppose uh, when it comes down to it, the problem of evil is is not the strongest argument. But back to the definition. So I think we've got two key components. Great suffering is caused... And there is agency involved. There is the the intent to do this. So if someone is compelled to do this great suffering, it's the person that is compelling them that is doing the great evil uh, in an indirect way. Ah, but what do we do about psychiatric illness? So I suppose, I mean, psychiatric illness, there's quite a few of them. I think we'd have to look at each one individually. But are you saying if someone heard voices, say, for example, they thought God was talking to them and compelling them to kill someone? For instance, or a paranoid schizophrenic who thinks he's just killing people to save his own life? Uh, again, I, I, I don't think that fits the parameters of evil. Uh, his actions are immoral, but it sounds like he's not even fully aware of what he's doing. Therefore, the intent isn't necessarily to cause harm or, or to cause great suffering. It's it's a survival instinct that has got, you know, bad wiring and is doing the wrong thing. Yeah, but the funny thing is that when somebody goes around slitting a thousand throats, and he doesn't have uh, what they call a, a terrorist motive, then we always, always chalk it up to psychological illness. Just like when somebody decides to kill themselves, we always, always say, well, something must have been psychologically wrong with them. Well, that doesn't have to be the case. No, of course it doesn't. I mean, people saying that it has to be that doesn't mean that it is that, does it? Uh, it, it's always retroactively diagnosed as being something like that. But then that is people negating that person's evil nature. Although, could we say that people who are, for whatever reason, uh, somewhat sick in the head and find that, yeah, I want to kill a thousand people are they not in a way mentally ill i i'm, I'm arguing against myself now because I what, <laughs> what, what is 
mental illness. So I, I'm, I'm sort of thinking out loud because uh, it's it, there are so many different mental illnesses and there are so many things considered a mental illness. I mean, for example, homosexuality used to be considered a mental illness, didn't it? And we know now that it's not. So people behaving in different ways, having different levels of psychology and, you know, different disorders, etc. They all had... I'm sure, at some point throughout our uh, evolution, a reason to be there. They were part of the survival. They, right now, they might be defunct and unneeded, but for a certain time in our history, we needed those behaviours to survive. Oh, yeah, of course. A, a sociopath makes a great soldier. Right, so can we really say, oh, it's really, 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 really difficult when you break it down in that way, I suppose, does the person have the faculties to know what is right and wrong, regardless of how they choose to behave, if they do, but decide to do it anyway because they feel like there's a voice in their head telling them to do it or whatever, then they, I would say, yeah, potentially, they, they are ill, but then there is an element of evil there because they, they fully know, they're fully aware that what they are doing is wrong and is going to cause suffering. But if they're not aware of it, then maybe it's it's not evil. It's still an immoral act. They still need to be stopped, but it's not necessarily an evil one because there is a, a lack of awareness of these right and wrong concepts. The act could be evil, but the agent could be considered to be incapable of being judged as such. Yeah, exactly. Also, welcome to philosophy and critical thinking. <laughs> it starts getting very complicated when you start getting down to the finer details. I spend a lot of time arguing with myself as it is, and now I'm arguing with myself uh, in a live conversation. It's a bit like, uh... <laughs> no, that's good. That's a good sign. <laughs> People should argue with themselves more. Uh, a good skeptic would argue his own base principles and base thoughts and foundational thoughts. Well, I'd agree with that. One of the things, especially in, in debate, is to try and preempt the arguments against your position, isn't it? And to do that, you need to learn the position that is against you as well as learning your own. You know, you need to be on an equal ground of actually, yeah, these are the, all the arguments for and against. So you could play devil's advocate and argue the other side just as well as you could argue your own. That's exactly what you should be able to do. Argue the, You should be able to argue the position you're arguing against as if it was your own. That shows a more well-rounded understanding. It might not be a complete understanding, but it would definitely be a more well-rounded understanding. And you could actually go, oh, maybe I do see a few points here and there in, in, in their argument actually and maybe you go I don't have an answer for that but I do have more on my side than I do on their side that can't be answered so yeah basically it's how a lot of my beliefs are to be honest and I would imagine most people's beliefs are kind of like that yeah oh, it's is interesting no. no you disagree but that well that most people's beliefs are like that I mean most people just subscribe to a certain newspaper that feeds into their views and then confirmation bias all the way down. Oh, yeah, there, there will be a lot of that. Especially yeah, I don't deny Facebook. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, people just suggesting information without actually thinking about it. But again, there would be 
something in that belief that sort of sways them, say, a connection to other beliefs that sort of weights it to being the most likely for them, even if they haven't thought about the finer details of it? Yeah, I suppose there's always got to be something that is grounding people. I I mean, I do agree with Martin that there is uh, so much confirmation bias going on especially when you're getting in in debates and everything i even see it i i've i've argued with both atheists and theists and i noticed that we both suffer from the the same affliction and it it is interesting seeing as atheists are supposed to be the more skeptical bunch but i think just because we've got we we've got the title that we're skeptics and then that means we don't have to be skeptical because we know we're right or something like that and it's just like what <laughs> yeah i'd say i'd see that a lot as well um i'm probably guilty of it myself do you know what i mean it's a cognitive bias in our brain well they're perfectly natural it is perfectly natural to have a cognitive bias uh they're not always wrong they no. they can be they're not always wrong though i i know without uh, thinking about it what my favorite chocolate bars are i'm biased towards those and if someone puts a new chocolate bar especially if it's from a company i don't like like the hershey company ugh, their chocolate's nasty i will instantly think i'm not going to like that chocolate bar and not even want to try it and i might and i might be pleasantly surprised but i have that cognitive bias there that i am not going to like that chocolate bar that's a good example and as a, a sign of showing why it's important to be aware of them like you say you could end up loving that chocolate bar but you're biased against it so if you notice the bias and go against the bias you can start not training yourself not to have them as such but just being aware of them better start noticing them reflexively that kind of stuff oh definitely i think i think there are there are so many things that especially as a teenager that i rejected different genres of music and the like that I rejected because of the sorts of people that listen to it or because, no, I only like metal and, uh, you know, rah, rah, rah. And, and then I, I gave myself a chance and actually, oh, actually, this is all right. Oh, this is all right, too. Oh, and all of a sudden I'm liking so many different genres. I'm only liking a few tunes from each genre because I have an eclectic but specific taste for all the sorts of music. But actually letting go of my bias, letting go of my almost tribe mentality where I was a metaler with all the metalheads as well. And I think in doing that and learning more about the different types of music out there and the different ways they all make me feel different things completely and and how some is so beautiful and some is so aggressive and I loved all of the experiences I was getting. It applied something else in my life which was try and treat everything like that. Okay, you might think that you're not going to like that thing or you might think that you are going to like that thing but be aware that that might not be the case. Give everything a go and don't be too disappointed if it doesn't work out. Exactly. Well, within reason, you know, obviously. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to go around, you know, uh, deciding to shoot people in the head just because I'm going to give it a go. I mean, within (laughs) reason. I I have a certain moral code. (laughs) Of course, but, you know, just with the way people can be online these days, stop. Better mention it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, t- true, true, yeah. I wasn't suggesting everybody go out there and touch kitties just to see if they like it or not, okay? Exactly. Don't do yeah. it. <laughs> That's a no-no. <laughs> That's a universal no-no. Might be You'll very be... satisfying, though. <laughs> <laughs> I have the power. <laughs> a 
Okay, so in our in our definition of evil that we, we keep circling around, we've got an element of agency and intent. We've got our element of harm uh, or great suffering. There was another one. What was that? <laughs> I'm sure we had three. I'm sure we'd got up to three. Agency, intent, suffering, and harm, basically. Put them all together in a particular order, obviously. But those are three qualities that I reckon are necessary for either an evil person or an evil act. Of course, without the agency and intent with the act. An act can cause a certain amount of suffering that has been set into motion outside of their hands. Alike, say, going back to the market setup that Martin was talking about previously. The system was set up with a certain amount of knowledge that it was going to exploit workers and it was going to cause suffering. So there is still a certain amount of intent to cause the suffering, but there's no one particular person responsible for it. There's no one particular person responsible for each individual's great suffering. But the system itself can be evil because there was knowledge in the setting up of that system that harm was going to be caused. Do you think there's anything else we can add to our, our definition? Or uh, have we pretty much locked down what evil is? I don't think it's possible to really lock it down like that. But I think those are basically good guidelines. And usually when we're saying God allows evil or God is evil, we take those kind of character characteristics as kind of guidelines for judging God as evil or, you know, the, the evil in the world that is part of the problem of evil. So I, I suppose if we come back to the whole, uh, in, you know, our morals are written on our heart. So if we can, <laughs> obviously I don't agree with this, if, if this God is, is real and he has given us these morals in our heart so that we know that his behaviours are immoral and wrong and evil, uh, and, and I know there's the argument that no, God's doing it, so therefore it's good, but if our heart, the heart that God has given us, is telling us that he's doing evil actions, either he's made us with faulty hearts or he is genuinely performing evil actions that's a very good point so why would why would this deity who knows everything and can do anything do things and pr make us see him in a way that we describe as evil and therefore think that he can't exist in the way he's been described because he's supposed to be a, a loving all-powerful uh and an all-knowing god because we're allowed to be wrong but he's made us wrong. He's given us a heart that tell us that he is evil. And remember the thing about how certain actions can be put into place so that people can overcome them? I guess you could argue that it was one of those kind of events. You're given the option to learn and to overcome this obstacle that God has put in your way. I suppose that's one way that could, could be argued. Ugh. <laughs> <I d> <laughs> I think I think actually it would be really good if we could get some comments from from a few theists on what we're discussing today if we can and actually get their thoughts not necessarily on the on the problem of evil but on the whole concept that we've discussed today the difference between you know uh, the human definition of evil which 
by their definition, God put on our hearts and we're now judging him by the hearts that he give, gave us. I agree. I, I would <laughs> love it if theists would offer to come on the show, to be honest. Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah, uh, I, I'm definitely up for that. So uh, any theists out there, uh, if you are listening to this, obviously contact us. Um, you can, well, comments on any of our social media or on the answersinreason.com webpage. Uh, where this is posted, or you can even contact us at admin at answers-in-reason.com with any of your thoughts. We'll be happy to read them out, or if you want to send a sound sample, or as we suggested, if you want to come on the show and debate your position on a particular topic, it'd be absolutely fantastic. They don't even have to debate it, just discuss it. It would be interesting just to have the discussion with them. Definitely, I suppose, especially on this topic where we've pretty much done our entire element it would be just great to get their perspective on where any of our arguments they feel have fallen down although i don't think i would be able to um sit back and say nothing if i felt they were wrong oh no i agree but that's the way a fluid conversation goes as long as there's no yelling screaming insults you know it's to be expected to interrupt somebody yeah most definitely and some suggestions for People that are wanting to look into the problem of evil. Richard Swinburne is an excellent read. And Alvin Plantinga. Those are both modern philosophers that cover this topic really well. And and what angle do they take on it? Swinburne takes the sort of free will as well as it may be necessary for God to introduce evils. Here you go. This is basically... This is basically his position. God may know that the suffering that A will cause B is not nearly as great as B screams might suggest to us and will provide an opportunity to C to help B recover and thus give C a deep responsibility that he would not otherwise have. God may very well have reason for allowing particular evils, which it is our burden duty to attempt to stop at all costs simply because he knows so much more about them than we do that's basically swinburne's position and plantinga takes a very similar kind of free will position and i suppose if they want to to have a look at the other side of it as well have you got any readings from you know like as we were discussing today uh, the the problem of evil uh yeah there's a, a good book called think i can't remember uh simon blackburn Simon Blackburn's Think has a very good section on the problem of evil. Awesome. So there's uh, three different folks you can read and uh, learn more about the problem of evil from both sides. Give yourself a well-rounded knowledge on it. Are there any online resources that you can think of as well, Dave, that maybe folks can check out rather than uh, the books? Because everything's electronic these days. Buy the e-book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, buy the e-book. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I tell you what, uh, in in the post, I will do my best to find uh, where you can buy the books or the ebooks, and hopefully, if I find all of these books, I will include them in the uh, main section on Did Answers in Reason. Did you get a bit about me talking about Stanford Encyclopedia? Because I think I was hitting shift instead of control. I, I did not hear you at all, Dave. Sorry. Okay, yeah, I was hitting shift. Another place that people can go, you know, you asked about the online facilities. If they go to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, there is usually 
an entry in there for pretty much every philosophical topic you can think of. And there is a good one on the problem of evil as well. Perfect. Fantastic. I will also provide a link to that. I know I've um, referenced them a couple of times in an article, thanks to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll I'll do my best to write up an article on the problem of evil, on the various arguments and the different sides and, you know, the uh, counters and rebuttals and whatnot. Excellent. I mean, if we can get that to launch around the same time as the podcast, then... Boom. It'd make good kind of uh, side reading. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I think that we've pretty much covered the problem of evil. It's uh, an argument that really only applies to a specific god, an omni-god, like the Abrahamic god of Christianity and Islam. It isn't the strongest argument because there are so many weak excuses that can go against it and just it, it it's basically asserting that you know god's mind and actually no you don't know god's mind and blah de blah de blah one side or another it doesn't really get you anywhere the argument is awfully circular and frankly there's probably no point in having a debate on the problem of evil no not not unless you just like discussing it in general and do you know what which i do i've enjoyed tonight's conversation it's it's been uh, enlightening and we've actually managed to scope out what we ourselves define as evil not just the against god version of evil but what we as humans would regard as evil actions and evil people exactly and we've covered quite a few other topics as well like our ideas of free will and omniscience and whatnot and i think that there is an element where we could look into these topics in more detail i know on answers in reason i did i actually wrote an article on is god omniscient is he all-knowing because there are so many elements in the bible where God is written as if he doesn't know what's going on. But if he <laughs> if he doesn't know what's going on, then is he omniscient? Um, so he falls down on that claim. In fact, I think... I, do you know what? It's been so long since I wrote that article. It almost covers a very, very light, obscure version of the problem of evil uh, in itself. Ah, nice one. Everybody should go check that out. Yeah, I'm going to have to dig it out and make sure that's right. But I, I think it, essentially it covers off the the whole needing to test people for, for them and then punishing them because God will know how we're going to act. So why does he need to test us and uh, that element? I think one of my articles on there as well has something to do with that. Basically, what we're saying is people should go to answersinreason.com. That's answers-in-reason.com and read our articles because we're actually really bright and witty folk and and we pretend we know what we're talking about. I don't pretend very well, but you know. Martin, do you have any closing comments? Not really. Just uh, go to answersandreason.com and have some fun. And read Martin's latest article on living life. It's excellent. Actually, it is. And I can't wait for him to uh, finalise and publish the next one. Uh, they, they're they pretty uh, good articles, yeah. Well, thanks for the kind word, guys. I'm going to get on it as soon as possible. Nice one. So, now is possibly... My favourite part of the week, uh, <laughs> which is stupid comment stupid of the week. Last week we did one of uh, something a theist said 
trying to uh, defend their position of the 40-year journey across a desert that would take 10 days to walk. Uh, Call it 100 at a push. And uh, Dave, you rightly said, you know, for balance, we should try and find a stupid atheist comment this week. That's right. And I think on one of the topics, I'm not sure if it, it was on your post or mine, there was someone on there obviously going on about a particular definition of atheism. I think it was yours on the atheism agnostic distinction. Yeah, I I can't remember even if it was that exact post that they were on it, but I was talking to her about the difference between the two. And she was talking about her, her lack theist position. And I said, so do you believe a God exists? She said, no. Said, so you believe a God doesn't exist then? And she went, oh no, that's a completely different claim. I was like, what? No, she said, there is a difference between I believe no gods exist and I don't believe gods exist. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what the distinction is there. I mean, I'd be happy to find out, but I'm not really sure that there is an actual distinction there. Uh, there, there definitely isn't. It, it's... It's the place of where you're placing a negative. Think about a a formula, a a mathematical formula of, you know, one minus one equals zero and minus one plus one also equals zero. There is no difference in where you are structuring your not, uh, whether you're saying I believe they don't or I don't believe. It's exactly the same belief but unfortunately she thinks that there was an element of a a claim when you have a positive belief which is why she doesn't believe and doesn't believe they don't yeah i i I don't get it (laughs) yeah and unfortunately when we probed her for uh, an, an explanation on why she felt that these and when we probed her for clarification on what she felt the difference between the two was she she couldn't provide one she didn't get back to us and she went on to commenting on other elements and it's great to have interaction with people but this is one of the things that the article was trying to address uh, the the atheism article that i wrote it was about the evolution of the the terminology the classical definition to how people use it now to why i don't think the the lack position is necessarily a strong one and why it is closer to agnosticism than it is a you know classical atheist position and atheists don't like it they they don't like being told the lack belief is not typically what the the definition is and i understand them using it and it's all about the whole burden of proof as well there is a massive fear but the only burden of proof on a belief is to support your reasoning to make it rational it's so if you believe gods do not exist it is just to explain your reasoning why so that can be the overwhelming lack of evidence the contrary claims the fact that there has been no observable proof that there has been no observable observable effect on anyone's lives and the books that all these multiple holy books have like so many contrary claims and errors and clearly can't be divinely inspired so there you go that's your reasoning for why you believe gods do not exist you've looked into the claims you've found them wanting and 
when it comes back to it, you're not making a knowledge claim. You're not saying, I know gods don't exist. I know my belief is true. And if you did, then you'd have to provide some credible evidence to support that above. Well, I've looked at this. In the same way that if a theist just believes that God exists, they just have to explain why. If they say they know their God exists, that's when they need some hard evidence. The thing you tend to find is your average theist does know their God exists and the reason they know is feelings and feelings are not credible convincing evidence. No, definitely not. And you'll you'll get a better conversation if you actually explain why you don't believe their claims. Yeah, I mean, the thing is it kills most debate where they, where you just go, well, I just don't believe you. Yeah, there's not much point in the discussion if that's all that's really going to be said. And it's, could you also say that you don't believe them for rational reasons if all you can say is I don't believe you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can. But the thing is, as we were saying last week, the average atheist does have rational reasons for not believing. Some of them, they've only really thought about it in the, the lack of evidence, but some of them go further and look at the contrary claims, the how illogical this deity uh, or these deities are and the historical inaccuracies, and they can all say that, but they just don't. And it's almost frustrating watching these debates unfold online. I agree. And even if your reasons for not believing their claims is a lack of evidence, you have reasons to dismiss each thing that they put forward and claim is evidence. You can, When you say that's not evidence, you must have reasons for why you don't consider it evidence. So you could argue them as well. You know, it... But that's another mistake we make as well. Uh, and by we, I mean atheists. We, we we say that's not evidence, but actually there are so many different types of evidence. Sometimes it, it is evidence, it's just not credible or convincing. For example, anecdotal evidence. Oh, I felt God, so, you know, I, I knew it was him, so I know God exists because I felt him. You know, that's an anecdote, right? It's not credible, it's not convincing, but it is still technically evidence and if you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth you could even say it's testimonial as well again it's not necessarily credible or convincing evidence but saying it's not evidence stifles the conversation you need to explain that actually this a personal experience based on pure feelings is not credible or convincing people have experienced and, and felt so many different things and claims them to be true I personally need something a little bit firmer than that. Do you have anything that is firmer than that so that we can continue this conversation? Exactly. And you're more likely to convince them that they're wrong if you can explain it to them and if you do take the time to explain it to them. Uh, definitely. And I suppose you're showing them a little bit res of respect by doing so. Exactly. And that will make them listen to you that little bit more as well. So there we have it. We've discussed the problem of evil. What is evil? Different attributes of evil. Discussed how, yet again, people don't seem to be debating particularly well and whether that's their intent because they're just trolling or actually they don't realize what they're saying i can't comment but maybe we should come back to this topic in a future debate especially if we've got some more uh, people giving us comments on why they choose to debate the way they do sounds really good to me actually right well thank you very much this has been the fresh air podcast episode two the problem of evil have a good night everyone i'm joe i'm dave good night i'm Ardine. good night